So good evening, everybody. So we just finished with benediction. Why don't we go ahead, though, since our retreat's dedicated to Our Lady and the theme of Mary, let's pray Hail Mary together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, for us sinners, now in the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, once again, my name is Father Bryce Sibley. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Lafayette, currently living in New Orleans, though, teaching theology over at Notre Dame Seminary. Uh, it is wonderful to be back here, uh, not only in Southern California with such great weather, uh, but with the sisters and with all of you. It's been since uh, July of 2019 that I've been here, so it really is a gift. What we want to do is have our Advent retreat, and the theme is going to be uh, the heart of Mary, Mary's Immaculate Heart. And I think it's appropriate because Advent is really this great Marian season waiting on and anticipating the birth of Jesus, but also because we're in the middle of the Novena to the Immaculate Conception. Uh, most of what we're going to talk about over the course of the next several days comes as the fruit of my prayer, but also insights that I've received, let's say, over the course of the past several years from directees and friends. So we're going to reflect on certain characteristics of Our Lady's heart, but what I really want to do is see what it means for us. Not only how we can interact with Mary's heart, but the fact is that we are called to have Marian hearts. We're called to have Marian hearts, and that our heart should imitate, and actually in a certain sense we'll see participate, in the Immaculate Heart of Mary, asking her to really give us her heart. And so we're going to look at five traits, more or less, and five talks, and pray that Our Lady gives us her heart and those traits. But not just for the ladies here, it is for the men too. It's for all of us. We can all have priests, husbands, included Marian hearts. So what is a heart? We're not talking about the physical heart. That's a symbol for something deeper. And within the scriptural tradition, the Catholic tradition, I'm going to let Pope Benedict define what the heart is. He says in biblical language, the heart indicates the center of human life, the point where reason, will, temperament, and sensitivity converge, where the person finds his unity and interior orientation. And so we're talking about the heart, but I want to begin with something that a very good friend of mine noticed. In iconography or images of the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart, is that whenever they're depicted, they're depicted with their hearts, their physical hearts as a symbol of the personal heart, outside of their chest. It's not like there's a, like a glass screen or a window that you can peek in and see their hearts. They're outside of the chest. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that their heart, Jesus's, and here we're talking about Mary's, is exposed. It's not hidden behind the sternum. It's not hidden behind walls. 
it's vulnerable. The heart of Jesus, the heart of Mary, is vulnerable. It's a word we hear a lot lately. It's kind of big and in different talks and in ways of looking at the human person. And it comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means wound. And so to be vulnerable means that you are able to be wounded. Guess how many people like vulnerability? None. Nobody does. Why? Because it hurts to get wounded. You're hurt, whether it be physical vulnerability or here we're talking about more emotional, interior, psychological or spiritual vulnerability. And so a lot of the times it's fear driven by fear, driven by shame that we don't want to be vulnerable quite often because we've been hurt before. And so we shield ourselves from being hurt again putting up walls, putting up defenses, a force field, even bringing out arms to fight off the people or the forces that may come to harm us. And so basically what we do is we put our hearts back in our chest, go into hiding. This is what we do, or most people do, when they are fearing vulnerability. So... We're going to talk about how, if we're going to have merry in hearts, we've got to learn to be exposed. We've got to learn to be vulnerable. Because, yes, fine, if you don't want to be vulnerable, you put your heart back in your chest. You're safe from being hurt. But you also can experience love. You can experience joy, gratitude, tenderness. It goes both ways. You want to keep the bad stuff out, you're going to keep the good stuff out too. One of my favorite quotes about this is from C.S. Lewis. And he says, quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Unquote. So, if we are going to Love, we're going to have to bring our hearts outside of our chest like Mary. And yes, there is a great risk in that. Because so often, over many, many years, sometimes over decades, we've built up walls. And it's hard to take those walls down. And so we could do our own work, but it's really going to be Jesus who's the one who's going to have to take down the walls and asking him to bring those walls down. Or, sort of, someone pointed out to me this week, if you've got your guns out, if you've got cannons and turrets, not just battlements, then the Lord's going to have to disarm you to take the guns away and so that we can let him in. Now, this is for us. Mary didn't need this because she was sinless. She didn't have walls around her heart. She didn't hide like Adam and Eve did. So because of her sinlessness, 
Her immaculate heart is always exposed, always outside of the chest, always vulnerable. And so that's why she's able to love so well, love people and transform them. Jesus, Joseph, John, and the other apostles. But in doing so, she's taking a great risk. And that risk is to be wounded, to be pierced by a sword. We all know this. Mary's heart was pierced by a sword. It experienced pain. It was wounded. And this, of course, goes back to Simeon's prophecy in Luke chapter 2. Quote, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many may be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Your own soul, your own heart. And this is the root of our title of Mary as Our Lady of Sorrows. She shared in her son Jesus' suffering whose heart was pierced. Now, in iconography, we traditionally say Mary just didn't get one sword, she got seven. The seven sorrows of Mary. Which means what? Throughout her whole entire life, although she had great joy and she experienced the luminosity, she was pricked all the time. All the time. Almost no respite from this suffering, from the sword piercing her heart. Now, this could be the part of another retreat that we do. I was talking about this with uh, someone who is very wise and spiritual. She brought up the connection between the seven swords that pierced her heart, the seven sorrows of Mary, and for those who know about inner healing work, Uh, the seven core wounds that supposedly we all have, these seven core wounds that we all experience. I'm not going to get into all of this, but I think it's interesting the connections that she made. Simeon's prophecy is powerlessness. She's powerless to stop this from happening. The flight into Egypt, the core wound of fear, the loss of Jesus in the temple, confusion. Where is Jesus? Where's my son? The meeting Jesus on the way of the cross is the fourth one, is hopelessness, struggling, tempted to give up hope, although she never did. At the foot of the cross, experiencing rejection, the core wound of rejection, with her son who's being rejected. When the body of Jesus is taken down, shame, a core wound of shame of holding the body of someone, everyone is being accused, her son, of being a criminal. And finally, the burial of Jesus, abandonment, wound of abandonment, three days without her son. And so there's one other one, though, that I've sort of been realizing. And last night, the sisters were kind enough to invite us to go watch the the chosen Christmas special and brought up something that we don't think about often. The shame, the suffering that Mary experienced around her pregnancy. Remember, Joseph was the one, when he heard about it, wanted to divorce her quietly to save her from shame. Now, there's all kinds of reasons what motivated him to do that. Most will agree, I think, the way is that he understood, he believed what Mary said, and sort of feeling unworthy, he wanted to step away. But the fact is, 
the way that the timing worked out, people would have talked because Mary and Joseph weren't married yet. What's going on? And so Mary would have experienced some chatter, gossip, potentially losing family and friends. This is a suffering. But good Joseph stood by her. He didn't feel worthy to, but he did because he believed the Lord was working and trusted her and trusted God. So a little aside there, um, something to reflect on. But there's something else that I noticed getting back into the iconography of the Immaculate Heart, whether there be seven swords or one sword, is that the sword in these images remains in Mary's heart. Unlike the wound of Jesus, which you see the wound in images, but the, 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 the spear is rarely there, you always see Mary's heart with the sword in it. Why? Because, in a certain sense, her wound doesn't fully heal. And she's still experiencing that pain. Also, thought about this too, the roses you often see around Mary's heart. Oh, we love the roses. Today we're at the Huntington and got to smell a lot of the roses in the rose garden. It was wonderful. But what's on the other side of roses? A bunch of thorns. A thorns that would be pricking into her cardiac tissue, pricking into her heart. So it smells great, but still creating pain and suffering in her heart. And so this is what I want to offer, not just about the vulnerability of Mary's heart that we ought to have and putting our heart out there, but something else that comes along with it, with the sword remaining in. To have a heart like Mary's means to have a tender heart. T-N-D-E-R. A tender heart. Tender as in sensitive to the touch. Oh, it's a very tender spot on my arm. Why? Because it hurts. I'm suffering. To remain tender means, yes, it's hurting, but I'm going to still keep it exposed. I'm going to still be vulnerable. And we've all experienced tenderness, maybe from a bruise or a wound in our skin, but we've all experienced that tenderness of our heart from the death of a loved one, our own broken heart, the struggles of a friend or family member, lots of small things building up. And so often we can feel almost perpetually like we are on the verge of tears. We feel very fragile. There's no way that we could be comforted. Now, this tenderness isn't anxiety. We're not talking about that. Or fearful. Why? Because the tenderness of Mary's heart is rooted in a childlike trust in the Lord. That yes, my heart is tender, but he's going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. Rooted in Mary's own fiat. Be it done unto me according to thy will. So the Marian heart is one that embraces that tenderness, the delicacy, doesn't try to medicate, doesn't try to anesthetize the pain. Except they accept and embrace the tenderness, leaning into it. Now, this doesn't mean that we, as I like to say, sit in our wound jacuzzi. Oh, I'm so wounded. Oh, the world is terrible. 
and always talking about this type of stuff, focusing on our pain and how difficult our life is, because that leads to anxiety and rumination and overthinking. It's not that we don't try to seek healing or consolation. We do. It's important, particularly if there may be some family of origins, wounds, or some PTSD. But the fact of the matter is we can do that work, but sometimes for certain wounds, the sword is going to remain. Or we're going to be constantly pricked. The Lord doesn't remove it. And so we can get angry. We can wonder why this doesn't seem fair, or we can see it as a grace. That for whatever reason, the Lord is allowing our heart to be tender, to exist in that state, as Mary's heart did. And so instead of trying to avoid it, or getting angry about it, or getting anxious about it, we can embrace it, not trying to avoid the suffering that comes. And so, yes, it does hurt. It is uncomfortable. We feel very fragile emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically. But having that tender, sensitive heart produces sensitivity in us. Not oversensitivity, but that sensitivity rooted in love, that kindness, that compassion, that caring. Imagine Mary's tender heart as that root of her own sensitivity to others and their needs. That's how she could notice. Well, wait a second. They ran out of wine. Rooted in the tenderness of Mary's heart. And so it makes us compassionate, willing to suffer with others, empathetic to their own pain and suffering because we've experienced it too. And so that tenderness of sensitivity becomes a sensitivity which is that tenderness we show to others, rooted in the own sensitivity of our hearts. Pope Francis has talked a lot about tenderness, and there's so many different quotes that I could give. I'm going to give you one. He says, quote, the evil one makes us see and condemn our frailty, whereas the spirit brings it to light with tender love. Tenderness is the best way to touch the frailty within us. Pointing fingers and judging others are frequently signs of an inability to accept our own weaknesses, our own frailty. Only tender love will save us from the snares of the accuser. Unquote. And so what is this? This accepting of the tenderness of our heart is accepting our humanity, our weakness, our frailty, our childlikeness, the fact that we can't all do it ourselves and we must be dependent upon the Lord, which also then creates the tenderness and that sensitivity to others. But is this easy? Not at all. It's especially not easy for guys. Because men are tough. We don't like to be tender. We have our, our testosterone. We've got our masculinity. But this applies for us, too. So how do we do it? How do we lean into this tenderness? Well, I'm going to propose that we look to Mary at the foot of the cross, the height of the sword piercing her heart, when her heart was the most tender. 
What are some of the things that we can see there that derive on our own lives as Mary hopefully begins to change our heart that we can see in our own lives to open it up when we do feel tender to have a more Marian heart? The first thing is this. Don't look for answers. Why is this happening? I demand to know why I'm suffering. How does this fit into everything? Trying to understand. Often when we try to understand something, we're actually trying to get control instead of allowing the Lord to run the show. And so Mary had to do this too. She had faith. She was the great believer. And she went through a tremendous darkness in her own life. And Cardinal Ratzinger has written beautifully about this. He says, quote, Mary is the great believer who humbly offered herself to God as an empty vessel for him to use in his mysterious plan. Empty vessel is going to become important later. Without complaint, she surrendered control of her life. She did not try to love according to human calculation, but put herself completely at the disposal of God's mysterious incomprehensible design. All she wanted to be was the handmaid of the Lord, the instrument, the servant of the word. Therein lies her true fame, that she remained a believer despite all the darkness and all the inexplicable demands God made on her. Blessed is she who believed, even when this faith became a sword that pierced her heart. This is the real reason for her greatness, or being called blessed, she is the great believer, unquote. So Mary, this is faith, but you can't see and you can't understand. You continue to press forward with the faith and the trust of a child, child who is the most vulnerable of all. No anxiety, but trusting that the Lord is going to take care of our hearts. Number two, don't try to fix it. Don't try to remove the sword, particularly if you prayed for it. Lord, take this cup away from me, and he doesn't. Don't try to fix it. This is a wonderful quote from uh, one of the supposed mystics of the 20th century, Adrian von Speyer. And she's talking about Mary at the foot of the cross. This is one of my favorite sort of Marian quotes or characteristics for us to understand. She said, quote, in the state, the mother is united with the son who gives everything, even his spirit, back into the father's hands. It is a surrender beyond all being able, bearing, enduring. It is nothing but the pure state of no longer being able, unquote. The state of no longer being able, able to fix, able to understand, She had to stand there with her hands open and say, I can't do anything. Can't control this. Can't fix it. It still hurts. But Lord, I am dependent upon you and recognizing my own frailty and delicacy. Number three, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Can't harbor, a Marian heart doesn't harbor resentment or hold a grudge. Now, It's easier said than done, and often forgiveness can be a process. I thought to myself how difficult it must have been as she's sitting there watching her son suffer, mocking her, torturing her, 
The temptation there to hate or to resent those who were attacking her son. But Mary would have been there at the foot of the cross and she would have arguably heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Okay, so this is something else to think about. Whenever Jesus says that, how do we know about it? John would have heard it, but Mary would have heard it too. Is it possible that Mary communicated that to the church and to the apostles because they weren't there? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that she could have repeated. And what about forgiveness for the apostles? Oh, look at all my son's buds. They all hit the bricks, except for John who's here. Did she feel the same betrayal and sadness? The sword in the back is often much worse than the sword in the heart. But she forgave. She chose to forgive and keeping her heart free, not weighed down by sin and resentment. Number four, Mary, at the foot of the cross, was not there by herself. She was dependent upon others. She was in that community, that constellation. We can't do it alone. And I hear, trust in Jesus. Put all your trust in Jesus. Absolutely. But you know what? Jesus is a body, and it's the church. It's not just purely a spiritual entity. It's a physical entity. We are his body. He gives us the command to love. Why? Because he wants to channel his love through us to other people. You know, your spouses, your children, your friends. We don't need to do it alone. She had people she trusted, safe places, Mary Magdalene, John, there. She could give herself to. She could let them hold her up. She wasn't worried about troubling them, about being a burden. Something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It was an article I read. We should want to be burdens on other people. People who we love and love us. If you truly love us, we want to carry that burden. Burden actually comes from the word meaning to bear, to carry a child. And so we have a negative connotation with the word burden. We should have a positive connotation. Yes, I want to be a burden on my loved ones. And I want you to be a burden on me. So Mary wasn't always worried about being a burden. She knew what love demanded and that she could rely on these others. And then finally, pray for fortitude. She knows she couldn't do it alone. She needed God's grace. That grace of fortitude are also called courage. What is the root word of courage? Heart. The strength of heart. And so, to have a Marian heart is a tender heart, but not a weak heart, not a weepy heart, but a courageous one. Able to stand at the foot of the cross. It takes great courage to lean into the suffering. We also can remember that whenever we are hurting, whenever we're feeling tender and frail, our heart is exposed, or maybe even feeling shame that our heart is so exposed, that we're not alone. That Mary is there with us, she was there with Jesus at the foot of the cross. She doesn't abandon us. She doesn't give up on us. As a mother, she's always there. And her presence is the most consoling. It gives us the most solace 
because she's experienced the most pain. She knows what it's like. Her heart is the most tender. Hansers von Balthasar, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, said, quote, it is the greater suffering that hides and thereby consoles, not with soothing words, not with promises that things will get better, but simply because the more profound pain as such goes on giving praise, and not only now does so adequately, just as from a broken jar of ointment comes a stronger aroma. So the, the, the bigger jar that's broken, the greater aroma is going to come. The bigger the pain, the more it can encompass the smaller pain. I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow. Imagine the consolation it was for Jesus to have Mary there at the foot of the cross. Imagine the consolation. And so in the same way, if we can understand Mary at the foot of our cross, it can bring great consolation to our hearts. And so as we're consoled by Mary's presence, and as our heart is transformed into a more Marian heart, we learn to be there as a consolation to others and our own tenderness, not in the need to fix it, because often we can't do anything with our own hearts or their hearts. We have to just stand there and not do anything. So to flip that word, that phrase on its head. And embrace the beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not only is the Lord comforts us, we can give them comfort, consolation, solitude too. Because ultimately, what is comfort? With fortitude, with strength, by that compassion, by that willingness to bring consolation, we also bring strength. Because we are the body of Christ. And it is rooted in grace and Mary's immaculate but tender heart. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some homework. What I normally do is at the end of each talk, give a few things for you all until the next talk to reflect on, to pray about. The first is this. We all have tender hearts. We all have pains we're experiencing. Where is your heart tender? What are the swords? Uh, it could be a big old massive sword, or it could be like a, those little toothpick swords, you know, that you put on the olives in your martini. It could be one of those. But a sword is still a sword. Where are your swords? Men, if you don't know where your swords are, ask your wives. They'll probably tell you. Now, your wife may be your sword. I don't know about that. Something to consider. Number two. Ask Jesus to bring healing. Lord, if this is your will, let this cup pass me by. Bring me healing. But if he doesn't, ask him to give you the strength to lean into that tenderness. And then finally, in your own prayer, ask Mary to bring you consolation, to bring you comfort. More important, to give you her heart. It's the goal of the whole retreat. We're praying to have Marian hearts. And so what I want to do is conclude with two things. The first is I want to sort of pray a litany. Uh, and, and there are copies of the litany for you to take back with you, and you can pray with it. It's not some official litany. It's actually written by this young woman uh, 
who has this wonderful Instagram page. She's Catholic, and she writes all these great litanies. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray the litany, and I'm going to pray the first part of it, and then I'll tell you what the second part is. So the first half, the response is, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. And then the last part of the second half, the response is, lend me your heart, Our Lady of Sorrows. And then we're going to end with, because I finished for about 30 minutes, we are going to end with a song. It's a little long part of a song. It's a beautiful song. You'll understand why I'm playing it, that we're going to use as our prayer before we retire for the night. How does that sound? So let's pray this litany. It's called the Litany of the Hurting. And so their first response is going to be, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. In the heaviness of carrying my burdens, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. In the weary grasping of grief, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. In the numbness that can creep unexpectedly, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. And the wondering of things will always be this way. Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. And the empty, open space of lack, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. And the struggle to see the bright side, Mary, comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. And not knowing how it all works together yet. Then the ache of disappointment. In the sting of betrayal. And the next response will be, lend me your heart, Our Lady of Sorrows. In the loneliness of unique experience, Mary, come. To accept the mystery in suffering, lend me your heart, O Lady of Sorrows. To remain open despite the struggle to, Lend me your heart, Our Lady of Sorrows, to find your motherly hand already holding mine. To trust in your maternal care that the Trinity carries my strength when I cannot. That a bleeding heart is evidence of love. that wounds are proof of sacrifice and vulnerability. To unite my suffering with yours for his glory. To know that our Lord wastes nothing in our trials. For the courage to carry on in faith. For a heart able to persevere in difficulty. For a heart not shying away from the pain. For a heart never running from his plan. For a heart echoing the Father's love. For a pierced yet stunning heart like Mary's. Now we'll have our song. Use this as a prayer to the Lord.
and then we'll retire for the night and I'll see you tomorrow morning.